Hello everyone, it's Saturday, October 21st. Welcome to Pop Goes the Girls, where we, two sisters born a decade apart, take a foray through our respective journeys through pop culture. I'm Daisy Kosh. And I'm Chelsea Davidson. This week, we are not sponsored by Gushers. But why? Why are we not sponsored by Gushers? It's Tarantino week. Why are we not sponsored by Gushers? That's not why we're not sponsored. We're not why? sponsored because we're not cool enough to be sponsored by That's Gushers. A, this is a valid point. Yes. Why do we want to eat Sorry, Gushers fruit, and fruit want gushers. the sponsorship? Fruit yeah. Gushers, to be clear. Yeah. Uh, so Are there another felt, kind of Gusher? It felt like, what What else gushes? The blood. The blood. The blood gushes from, from the mouths and the wounds and the sides and the heads and all the bullet holes and everything that Tarantino whole, does. If, if blood can come and out of it, knife, blood has come and the out knife, of it. The, the, the katana... The samurai sword? It's a katana. Okay. It's called a katana. You don't know what a katana is? Okay. Are you calling yourself a Tarantino fan? Ay, ay, ay. I'm very excited for Tarantino. Tarantino, if you I You know wait. what's unfair? I'm excited too, but you're getting stuck on the wrong stuff before Tarantino you even jumped into it. is my favorite... No. Don't do that. Tarantino, it's, it's definitely... We both have regrets when we've said this. one of my favorite directors. If I say that he's my favorite, I'm going to regret it, because then I'm just going to say somebody really sad. else that is my favorite... You know what I find so sad? That he says that he he's, he's going to stop. That he's going to stop. Yeah, I that don't it, buy it. You know what it's like? He you know what it's like? It's movies. like the slap in How I Met Your Mother, that like ticking clock mm-hmm. of when is it going to happen? Well, he says 10. Yes. He says he's going to make I 10. I don't like that. And, and he's, he's on he, 9. He's saying that he's going to like start doing like Broadway or, or something else. He's done 9. I don't like it. He's I don't like nine. this threat. one. It's, it's looming. Yeah. Like a curse. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so now is the very, very perfect time before we get into it to tell you that we will spoil things and we do spoil things during our podcast. So leave now or forever prepare for pop culture spoilers. That's right. Run, run far away. Tarantino. And even then, cover your ears. Tarantino does not accept the faint of heart. Each week we talk about pop culture artifacts that shaped us and why they're memorable to us. And we also have a fan theory fight club where we argue the merits or detriments of some of the fan theories discussed surrounding interpreting different pop culture items. Yeah. And lastly, we will play a quick round of Twist the Sister, which will be super twisted this week. Indubitably so. Where one of us really, really loves something that the other hates. I cannot believe that we have one this week, but... We do. We have. We one of us yeah. likes something. One of us hates something. In a Tarantino, I even argue canon. that we, we could have potentially had two Twist the Sisters because yeah. there's one that you really like that I feel very lukewarm about, which we will touch on it when we get lukewarm to it. Lukewarm is not enough. I really dislike this. So film. the first thing we are going to discuss, you will be discussing it because I have actually not seen it. Yeah. So is, this is really my my. Excuse um, me. I feel very passionately about my four things that I have seen. Actually, <laughs> five things no, that I have no, no. seen. Can I finish my sentence? Okay. This is my artifact because oh, for me, <laughs> you're gonna say this is your episode. No, this is my me. episode. Excuse me. <laughs> Make way. <laughs> um, no, this is my artifact because it's tied very much to me and my grandmother. Um, my grandmother. We're just just for the the sake of knowing what we're talking about. We're talking about Reservoir Dogs. You don't tip. No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping. You know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. Uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. It's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. 
What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. <laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So it's working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up. That ain't my fault. So Reservoir Dogs, um, like I said, was really tied to me and my grandmother. My grandmother had this in joke because of the very, very um, <laughs> classic scene, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Are you talking about the dance? Stuck in the middle, yeah, Stuck in the Middle with You, where Michael with, Madsen yeah. is doing like his little dance to Stuck in the Middle with You. Stuck in the Middle with You, prior to this, never had any creepy connotation to it whatsoever. It was just like a fun 70s throwback song. Um, it plays while there is this vicious torturing of an individual where he cuts off the guy's ear. And my nan loved this movie so much that she would constantly make reference to it. And I had not yet seen it because I was very, very young when it first came out. So when I finally saw it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But then it was like, it all came flooding back to me and I just realized how warped my grandmother was. And then at the same time, how warped I am because I loved this movie. So it was just yet another thing that bonded us. And um, I love I love this scene. It is it is very classic Tarantino. It has all the touch points. It may not be his most refined work, but it has everything, including a lot of key actors that he reuses over and over and over again. He knows who he likes. Um, I, I'm very impressed with this particular film as, a, as an early an, an early run at the gate. Um, it's not the one that everybody remembers. Everybody really remembers him for his sophomore efforts, which is which we'll get to in a second. But it is, I think, one of the better Tarantino films. I think the story writing is it hinges on having a decent story and a decent um, set of te like tension and and suspense mm. for you to really follow along with it. And it has all of that. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but basically, it's a heist gone wrong, and one of them is. Uh, is a mole is is a cop so it's like isn't that isn't that kind of like what happens in the usual suspects um no not in the usual suspects no that's not i'm getting that. it switched with something else you're then. you're thinking of the departed maybe where but that's kind of like yeah it's a, kind of like a double mole situation departed's crazy man yeah um but yeah the my you want to know what my note was never seen it but i love the color themed names because I still have that. Yeah, Mr. Pink, Mr. Black. I still have, I think Mr. it's. Mr. Brown. I think it's Mr. White and Mr. Orange. And Mr. Yeah. Orange is like pissing blood in the back seat out of a crayon <laughs> while Mr. White drives the car. Yes. And it's, there are it's, two it's Crayola crayons. It's, it's a, a cartoon. cartoon drawing of the scene. And I haven't seen the movie, but I love that little cartoon drawing yeah. of an orange crayon just like shooting red out of itself while the white crayon is just driving. Like, keep going, man. Yeah. Pull yeah. through. It was funny. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all I have for Reservoir Dogs. Because it's not that I don't want to see Reservoir Dogs, because I'm sure I'd probably like it. Like, it has the perfect 
formula to go right down my alley and stay there forever. Um, that being said, there is a Tarantino film that I find is very overrated, which you will be discussing His sophomore efforts momentarily. that everyone loves that made him a name? Yeah. Yeah, that I, one? I that don't, one? I don't like that it. put Tarantino on, on, the, uh, on the scene? Yeah, that would be the one that you're thinking of. Yeah. I like the ones that no one likes, which is really annoying to me. Um, <laughs> there, I don't think there exists a Tarantino movie that no one likes. They did a... I w- I'm in a... You know how they have, like, channels on Instagram now? And, like, people can do polls and stuff if you're invited to a channel. It's like, oh, you follow such and such, so you can be invited to their channel. Well, I follow a lot of fan pages, and one of them is a film fan page. Okay. And they did all of the Tarantino movies so far. Which one is your favorite one? And then at the end, they showed the results of the poll. I picked, spoiler alert, I picked Death Proof, which we'll be talking about <laughs> later. I picked Death Proof because I it's really love Death Proof. Right into Death Proof. And it went to the bottom of the goddamn list. There was like 150 people that voted for Death Proof. And 100,000 voted for like Kill Bill and Django'd. In Django Unchained, I was so pissed. Django'd? <laughs> yeah, Django'd. I'm having a problem. You've been but Django'd. But I was, I was so angry. Because I was, like, really at the bottom. And having such a low number felt like an extra, like, punch to the gut for me. That it was like, are these the only people that have seen it? And so I remember... Talk death proof. It's important. For you, this is your artifact. So go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Let's... let's death proof. <laughs> Physically speaking, Zoe is amazing. I mean, agility, reflexes, nimbleness... There's few human beings that can fuck with Zoe on that front. Oh, am I like you? Mm. <laughs> Having said that, before you get too envious of Zoe's prowess, you're missing the most important part of that story. You didn't fall in the ditch. Zoe did. Zoe even knew there was a ditch there because you told her, and she still fell in. So, Lee's right. We all have our talents. Hey. Death proof. Um... The movie does a complete 180, which I really like. Because a lot of movies, they're building to something, so the storyline naturally kind of follows that natural storyline. You know, you have your inciting incident, and then build into the climax, and you have your denouement. That's like most films. I'm sorry, what was that? A denouement? Yeah. In Death Proof, you have a complete 180, not quite halfway into it. So it starts off, and I think Tarantino described it this way, that it's like a horror movie cast where you have these girls that are super fun and cool and then there's this car and it's got a skull on it and the guy that comes out of it he's got this scar down his face and it's Kurt Russell who's about the most he's so great he's he, he feels like a warm hug when you see him but he's really creepy in this and like at yeah, one, at one yeah, point this is not a warm hug movie no no <laughs> and like at one point the one girl in it had said that the other one would give someone a lap dance if they recited a poem and he recites the poem, and she goes, well, if you don't want to give the guy a lap dance, you can say you gave it to someone else. Well, he turns around and recites the poem to this girl, and he says, is your name Butterfly? Because that's something they have to do, all because the one did a radio station thing and said it. And she doesn't want to give him the lap dance, but he basically calls her a chicken shit. And he says, is it my uh, car that scares you? And she says, no, it's your... Uh, he goes, is it my scar that scares you? Because he has a scar down his face. And she goes, no, it's your car. Because she's really creeped out by the car that he showed up in because it was like he'd been following them. And that's what really freaks her out about him. But she doesn't go with her instincts. She gives him the lap dance. Amazing like, song. Like most girls. Yeah. She's trying to be nice and gets yeah. herself in trouble. She ga- she gives him the lap dance. Um, 
and uh, that seems to be the end of the night. They're going to go get in this car, go up to this cabin. They're supposed to be chilling for the weekend. That's what's supposed to happen. By the way, well, you have to buy the special extended edition to actually see the lap dance in full. It gets cut off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just an interesting... I unfortunately don't have the extended edition, so don't rub that in my face. I do. <laughs> go you. <laughs> um, but... Who's the fan now? Shut up. <laughs> you don't even know what the song is that she dances Down to. Down in Mexico by the Coasters. You dick. <laughs> um, but uh, to touch on this really briefly, the soundtrack of the movie is also another thing I really like. Yeah. It, they're very, um, I wouldn't say that they're like mainstream. Throwback. Throwback 70s hits. Yeah. In general is Tarantino's yeah. area. Um, but anyway, Rose McCowan is there at the same time that these girls are there. And, uh, she, you can tell that she's got history with one of them and she's not friends with them anymore, but she needs a ride. And she's all, like, hippy-dippy while the rest of them are supposed to be independent because they're driving themselves. She has to get a ride with Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell proceeds to sit her in the seat and he mentions it's a stunt car. The creepy-ass car that he drives. So it doesn't so have, like, It a doesn't have a seat. seat it has basically seat. a metal pole and what looks like what's left of a bike seat when you rip the leather off. That is basically what she has to sit on, and oh, she goes, and she I goes, would never get in. And she goes, okay, I'll call Uber. And he says, are you going left? Are you going right? She says she's going one way, and he says, see now that's not good. And she's like, why? And the music literally changes. It's like dun, dun. Because if you said right, we wouldn't have had this panic until much later we're both, on. Because we're both going left, but that means you're gonna have to get scared immediately. And he friggin' goes from zero to, like, 120 miles an hour up the road to try and catch the girls. And you have to understand that this movie is somewhat, uh, like, uh, an ode to car movies, too. Yeah. Some of the great car movies, it's a reflection a little bit of that, but it has more of the creepiness to it. Yeah. Well, he follows the car, and by the end of it all, like, Rose McCowan, you don't know it's her anymore. Her face is smashed to shit. Because he yeah. breaks and she, her face waxed the, like, the, what teeth the dash gone, would be. Teeth, teeth are gone. Are gone. She's, she's barely chips. making a sound. She's, like, uh, like, really dead in the seat next to him. He turns his lights though. off. He turns his lights off, follows that car all the way up the road, passes it, turns around, keeps the lights turned off, and starts heading for it, speeding once again at 20, or 120 miles an hour, right at the car. car. And it's a souped-up car, so he's going to be fine. You know, he's got the seatbelt, he's got the padding, he's fine. But whatever he's going to hit, it's not going to be okay. While the women, who you've seen seen for almost an hour of the movie now, they're just jamming the tunes in the car, they smoked a little weed, they're feeling real great, they're going to a cabin. One One of them's got her leg out out the window. window. One of them doesn't have her belt on. The other one does have her belt on. Yeah. The one's driving. Doesn't really matter. Let's and just face they it. hit, they, he hits their car. And you, and you see, see you see what happens to each of these women. He, they repeat it over and over again, him hitting the car and what happens to each of them. One of them, her head goes. Don't go into the details. Like, we don't, one you, of them loses a leg. Now. One of them, her face it's is gone. It's why we're eating fruit gushers. Yeah. All of these different things happen to her. And then all of a sudden, it you see a hospital you find out all these girls are dead. The sheriff thinks the guy it was being really creepy, and he clearly had a plan on killing them, but they can't prove it, so he's going to get away with it. And all he had was, like, a fractured shoulder. He's fine, basically. Because even though m- major damage was done to the other car, he's in a stunt car. Okay, are you telling the whole movie? Anyway, second part, 
He decides to do this whole shit again, but he does Why it with the do wrong like bitches. This movie? He does it with the wrong bitches. They turn around, and they kick his ass, and they kill him. Spoiler. Um, so the thing for me was I liked Kurt Russell being a villain, even though I told you he has that very like warm He's a feeling. Great villain. Like you've got like Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got that. Um, the thing. Yes. Well, he's not the villain in The Thing. Or is he? You don't really know. He's not the villain in The Thing. You don't know. I know he's not the villain in The Thing. Anyway. um, But I also love... This is someone that I think you could say is probably in every Tarantino movie. And if she isn't, she is now. Uh, Is Zoe Bell. Oh, yeah. Who... She got her career started with, like, stunt work. Zoe Bell... But she's in everything. Zoe Bell was a stunt woman... Yeah. ...that he gave a break to as, an, as a legitimate actress with lines. And she's in everything now. Yeah. She's in uh, Death Proof. She's she in Django. Teeth, I think, with she... Death Proof. But she was really, like, her... She was Uma Thurman's stunt woman in Kill Bill. That's, yeah. That's where she came from. Yeah. She's in, as we mentioned, she's in Kill Bill, she's in Death Proof, she's in Django, she's in The Hateful Eight... Um, she's done other stuff as a result of it, though. Like, Once she, Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. She's, she's also, um, she's in Bay 10 Outlaws, which has a very similar vibe to Tarantino films. I haven't seen it, though. Oh, Dad would cry, because he, he loves it so much. He makes me watch it once a year with him. It's really good. Okay. It's surprisingly good. Because it doesn't seem like it would be, because it's like a B-movie, but it's good. Um, she's in that as well, and it's very much similar to her roles when she's in Tarantino. Like, if so, she... So what's your point with Zoe? Uh, Zoe, uh, on the hood of the car in this is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Great Because her being a stunt woman, "Ah!" her being a stunt woman really makes the scene work because you're scared, but you also know that she's the only person that could possibly survive it. So you can root for her. Yeah. Um, and I specifically love, uh, Thingy Thompson. I cannot remember her name right now. Tracy. Tracy Thompson. When she's driving, when she's driving, she goes, oh, I can't let you go without tapping that ass. And they're, like, driving, and every time she hits his bumper, she goes, tapping that ass, tapping that ass, tapping that, tapping that, tapping that ass. And I think it's so funny, because it's completely different These are, no, yeah, these are the not first girls women. to be messed with. I liked the first girls, but they're dead now. These are the girls that you can like, and they're not going to be killed Although by this prick. Although they did leave Mary Beth Winstead to With a creepy guy who thinks she's a... a possibly be sexually assaulted. Yeah. Because she fell asleep that. in a chair. That's, like, the one thing that you're like, girls, do better. Um, yeah. But you also have Rosario Dawson with a terrible haircut in it. Um, yeah. And we focus on her feet because it's a Tarantino movie. Yes. And it wouldn't be a Tarantino fil- film if there wasn't feet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, all the those together really just made Death Proof for me. I, I love it. I think of the feet moment in Reservoir Dogs. I'm sure there is one, but I, I'm not sure. Of who it is. <laughs> because I can't think of any prominent female characters in that scene. Anyway. But Death Proof is like an amalgamation of all of those things for me. Are just like a highlight reel. And I also like there's all the different genres. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. You get some comedy. A little action, little horror, little comedy. Mm. Little this, little that. A little bit of the other. I like that. I like when you get something that can be all of the things. It's a good movie. I, I really do like it. It's like it. a buffet I, of a movie. I don't understand why people don't like it. Or maybe it's just that they haven't seen it. I think a lot of people haven't seen it. Other than you, I know three people, including myself, that have seen, seen it. it. I made Sierra watch it. Yeah. Sierra liked it. 
as far as I know. It's a tear. Oh, yeah. She and might then, have just been telling you. And then the other person was a kid I went to high school with, and I turned around, I quoted something from it, because I'd just seen it, it was fresh in my mind, yeah. and he went, that's from Death Proof, and I went, you've seen Death Proof? And he went, you've seen Death yeah. Proof? And we had, like, a whole moment. It was like a litmus test. Of, yeah. Like, oh, but now we're friends. It's like <laughs> what happened when I was a kid, when I told you a friend of mine came in a shirt that said Jaws on, and I went, you've seen Jaws? Because no one had seen Jaws. Like, we were seven. Like, yeah. no one had seen it. Yeah. Except for, like, us who grew up on it. So he's like, you saw Jaws? I went, yeah, I've seen Jaws. You've seen Jaws? So you then it was like... A, so weird. Whatever. <laughs> But yeah, I've had it happen like <laughs> twice in my life and those are like the two times where it's like, holy shit. I, it's like you found someone who gets it. Death proof I can get, but Jaws is a funny one. <laughs> Jaws is like, I swear they make you watch Jaws in school. It's like, this is an example of classic film. <laughs> uh, it's math class, guys. Why are we watching this? <laughs> that's what it was like. But yeah, so that's, that's, mm. my, that's my thing on death proof. Now talk about the one that I don't really like. Okay, so the one that everybody knows of course, is mm. the sophomore effort by Tarantino, and that is Pulp Fiction. What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English in what? What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again. Say what again. I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brent? Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brent. You tried to fuck and my Sarah Wallace don't like to be fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. So, first and foremost, before I get into the fan theory, because there is a fan theory attached to this, um, Pulp Fiction, I mean, if, if you know Tarantino, you most likely know Tarantino because of this, unless you've seen his much, much later work and you're carrying it on from there, but everybody and their cousin seemed to have seen Pulp Fiction and really, really enjoyed it because it was weird. Like, it didn't use a proper narrative structure and it was the first time people were really exposed to that which he didn't do so much in his first one. I feel like if he had done that with Reservoir Dogs, everyone would have just lost their shit over Reservoir Dogs. I really do, because I think it's a great story. Pulp Fiction, though, is rich with symbolism and a lot of other things as well, so um, a few things to say about that. Uh, just just because we're, we're doing like a little counter. Foot scene. She is barefoot. Yeah. Dancing and walks home. Goes I to think, show you never can tell. You never can yeah. tell by Chuck Berry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that is uh, your barefoot scene. At least one. And they talk very explicitly about rubbing a bare woman's. Or, or not the, the woman's not bare. Woman's <coughs> bare feet. <laughs> a woman's bare feet, not a bare woman's feet. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. A bare woman's feet. I think a, a gusher just came through your nose in a very Tarantino like fashion. <laughs> Um, so, so it didn't I, actually come through my nose. I just nearly choked on it because I got stuck in my throat. So I, uh. I am going to talk about Pulp Fiction if I can ever find the theory that I found. My issue with Pulp Fiction was not the whole jumping around in the story. I actually really like that. I use Pulp Fiction now to describe Bad Times at the Air Royale because I turn around and I say to people, I say, you know what happens in Pulp Fiction? where the times go kind of all over the place and you have different things going on with different characters. I said, imagine that, but good. 
And that is Bad Times at the El Royale, because I love Bad Times at the El Royale. One of my, I, I'd even say it's one of my favorite movies ever. It's kind of climbed the chart over time. But for Pulp Fiction, the thing that bothered me was I struggled to enjoy any of it because you get such a small amount with all of the characters. And they, you didn't feel like you really grew to, to care I, for any I, particular yeah. character. I can't care about what's happening if I can't care about any of the people. The one okay. duo that seems to like keep coming into it is like Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, like bouncing around at the different places. Yeah. But I don't care enough I've about seen them. An, I've seen to an care edit. about the rest of it. I've seen an edit of the film. Like I didn't watch it all the way through, but I saw. Felt bad for Bruce Willis though. Saw pieces of it. An edit of the film in which they put it in order. So it's not going back and forth, and, mm -hmm. and this was two days ago, and this was one hour ago, and then mm -hmm. this is four hours forward. Was it better? They put it in chronological order. No. Or did it just no. feel weird? It felt weird. It felt disjointed to me, which is odd, because it was actually telling the story in order. But there's some things where you're just like, I... I, I wish I'd known that after. <laughs> I'm on the fence on whether or not that actually happened first, but okay, if you say so. Okay, so my theory actually comes from Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi came up Steve with a theory? Steve Buscemi came up with this theory. So the theory is that... We the love when an actor decides something's happened. The Reservoir Dogs character, Mr. Pink, that he plays, is actually in Pulp Fiction as well. And this is the story. I believe that. He's a lot of so, overlap. Tarantino so does. I'm going to tie these together. So, or I guess Steve Buscemi did. So I'm just going to read it. This actually came in a Screen Ranch article, which is where I'm getting my information from, uh, captured by Stephen Barker on February 7th of this year. So Reservoir Dogs ends with almost every character dead, which is very Tarantino of him. But one theory suggests that not only does Mr. Pink survive, but he also goes on to appear in Pulp Fiction as well. So Quentin Tarantino's 1992 debut, which is Reservoir Dogs, follows a group of criminals, they rob a jewelry store, the job goes terribly wrong, the characters take shelter in their hideout while the police are searching, excuse me, while the police are searching for them. The movie ends with a mass shootout. Um, however, Mr. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi, seems to escape with a case full of stolen diamonds. Now, according to the theory, Tarantino's 1994 follow-up that everybody knows and loves, except for Daisy, is Pulp Fiction, and it hints at the further fate of the character. So, Tarantino is known to leave certain stories open-ended, and that is why there is some allure there. Um, it's also why there are so many fan theories about Reservoir Dogs as well, because it is kind of open-ended. But the most interesting theory comes from... Steve Buscemi himself, yeah. saying that um, basically Mr. Pink became exactly what his character despises. So according to his theory, Mr. Pink shows up pretty plainly in Pulp Fiction, and given that all of his movies take place in the same universe, it's entirely possible that that would happen. But he's now a Buddy Holly impersonator. and So Steve Buscemi plays a Buddy Holly impersonator at the restaurant that they go to. Yeah. Um, which is Jackrabbit Slims. Um, in Pulp Fiction. So it's extremely plausible that Mr. Pink seems to survive Reservoir Dogs ending. Reservoir Dogs ending. So that's hard to say. Yet the movie ends before his fate is really revealed. The character could have been caught and arrested. He could have been shot dead. He could have escaped all these other things. Or he's hiding in plain sight. Or he could become a waiter after struggling to find other work because he has a criminal record. So the fact that he plays both characters only gives more credence to the theory as well. Um, but the ultimate irony of Mr. Pink working as a waiter, though, is because the opening scene, the opening scene, and, and I love this theory for, for this, of Reservoir Dogs, talks very explicitly, they go, they're going around a table very slowly, having a conversation, which is very dialogue-laden and very Tarantino. Um, you always tip your waitress. They all go on and on about it. 
And the ir irony is it, of this opening scene is that all the characters tip, but Mr. Pink doesn't. He refuses to tip a waitress because he simply doesn't believe in it. He doesn't believe in tipping. And that's why it's hilarious that he later has it's a ironic. job working tables at a diner where he works for tips. And it also explains why he's so, like, uninterested and monotone yeah. and, like, really not very He may good be an impersonator, service. but he doesn't actually give a shit about what they're going to order. Exactly. And then there's also theories as well about, like, the jewels possibly could have played into the the uh, briefcase in Pulp Fiction, maybe that he lost them and somehow they, they he parted ways with them and, and all of these different theories kind of fall into it as well. But the fascinating part for me is the don't, I don't tip, I don't believe in it, and then becoming a waiter. And I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. So that's the theory. And it comes from the actor himself that played the role. So I love it. If it's not true, which it might not be... <laughs> I don't care. I love it. And You like that Steve Buscemi was like, I'm thinking about something here. This man is putting shit together for his role. <laughs> He's like, you're going to play Buddy Holly impersonator, okay? Can it be Mr. Pink from the last one? <laughs> sure, Steve, whatever you want. <laughs> I don't have time for this shit. Uma over there is complaining about the calluses on her feet from doing this scene 25 times. So, sure, it can be Mr. Pink. <laughs> And, and that's what I like to, to, to think about. Yeah. So that's my fan theory. What do you think? I've not seen Reservoir Dogs, but sure. You like, you like the idea? I like that it could happen, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's a long it, That, I think it provides a bit more comfort than what we talked about with the whole 13 going on 30 thing being connected to the Adam Project, because that was just like a coincidence <laughs> of actors. There is a bit of a connection just, there. For with those him who haven't watched, that was a few episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's similar to that in the sense that it's the same actor, but there is a genuine connection there with him being like, I don't believe in tipping, oh, yeah. and then becoming a waiter. That irony is very important. A disinterested waiter. In making me believe that that could happen. Yeah. So uh, now it's your turn. Now for your fan theory. My fan theory is connected to Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2. I may taught you the five-point palm exploding heart <sighs> Of course he did. Why didn't you tell me? I don't know. No. You're not a bad person. You're a terrific person. You're my favorite person. But every in a while. You can be a real cunt. How <laughs> I look. You look ready. I love Kill Bill. So, I love Kill Bill as well. I love Kill Bill because I'm going of... to kill Bill. Like, I love the way she says it. I can't do it. I, Uma does it so much better. I actually have a fun little, uh, uh, not a tidbit, but like a, a personal story to do with Kill Bill oh, uh, that I'll get into for a sec. But in Kill Bill, uh, story is Uma Thurman's character, she goes and she's going to get married. And she's pregnant with her ex's kid. Ex shows up, decides he's going to kill her and the whole wedding party. She wakes up after four or five years in a coma and realizes her baby is gone. Uh, she's been treated very poorly in the hospital. 
Uh, Bill has her kid, probably. By the way, in the hospital, when she wakes up after those years, she has to relearn how to walk. And we focus on her wiggling her big toe. There's your foot count. Keep going. Um, this whole episode, the motif is feet. It's feet. Um, it's all about feet. So, then... Fetishist. Uh, but it also talks about how she used to be kind of like an assassin. And, kind of. And... <laughs> the whole movie about her being an assassin. Um, <laughs> and all the other assassins that she knew who were there on her wedding day who killed all these people. And took turns trying to kill her. Um, so she wakes up from the coma, gets her feet back in order, can stand again, uh, steals a car, and then drives up to one of the assassin's places. And she steadily is just going to pick off each of the assassins until she finally gets to Bill. Bill is the last one on her list. He ends it all for her. She's free to go. She's going to get her daughter and she's going to get out of town. She's done. She wants to live a decent life, but she just wants to get her a bit of revenge first. So that's Kill Bill. Now, that being said, at one point in Kill Bill, don't know if it's the first or the second volume, you learn about this um, five-point palm exploding heart trick, where if you hit these five it's points, technique. points on the body, you hit the five different spots, their heart stops working, they die. After they take how many steps? They take like... It's like three steps, and then they drop. It's three steps? Okay. It's three to ten. It's in there. And from there... Uh, they'll die. That's, like, the whole thing that goes on. Well, the theory suggests that Bill didn't actually die. Did you say three to ten steps? Yeah, I can't remember the exact number. Th that's important to the theory. It really isn't. It really is. It's three steps. Okay. I'm checking um, that, just to be sure. So, the theory is that he didn't actually die at the end of Kill Bill 2. Uh, that both he and uh, Beatrix, which is Uma Thurman's character, that they knew that this five-point palm-exploding heart technique was actually fake. And that it wasn't something that could actually kill a person. It's just bullshit to scare people. So, using it on him at the end of the movie, like Beatrix does, is her way of kind of saying to him, like, if you play along and you play dead after you've done so many steps, I'll take my daughter and I'll go and I won't actually kill you like you know I can. So, this explains why she actually cries and says thank you in the bathroom uh, at the end of the movie and why... Uh, Bill's name is actually not crossed off her list like all of the other assassins at the credits of the movie, at the end of the film. It's five steps, by the way. I just it's had to five? It yes. So three to ten, was I accurate? Well, this is why it's important. You take five steps and you die. Bill takes six. Oh, whatever. So if he takes six steps, then that doesn't posit itself with the theory that you take five steps and you die. Okay. Either I think way. it's a great theory. I really like it. I really like it. And he's not included on, like, the crossing off of the list or something. That's something. what I just said. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. Are you not listening to me? We're doing a podcast I, here. Sorry, I was really focused <laughs> on the number of steps. Like, it was very important to me. That really um, mattered. But the... I think it works because... But my issue is, I think the theory could be true. But at the same time, the fact that she's been on such a vengeful thing and killed all these bitches who tried to kill her. Yeah. And kind of succeeded, because she was in a coma for a long time. Well, she had the damn baby, so obviously there's some love there for Belle. But, you know, she had the kid because she wanted a kid. Like, calm down. Okay. Um, I, the thing that I struggle with is she's been on such a vengeance kick yeah. that it seems too easy for her to be like, I'm not going to kill you, because you are the father of my child, and you know I could kill you. I'm just going to okay. go. 
That seems way too easy for Give me. Give me the child. Yeah. Give me the child. It just, it seems really silly to me, comparatively. Yeah. To, like, Vivica A. Fox, you know, cutting her up in front of her kid. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bill, it's I just like, like I'm going to do five-point palm, and you're going to pretend to die, and I'm going to take the king and go. Like, that doesn't seem she right. I really want to kill him. Okay, I like the theory. I like the theory a lot. I like and the theory. I believe it's valid. And I think it's don't. valid. I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, um, we will quickly touch upon our honorable mention. I'm not, I'm not, like, no. No, there's too much. It's like one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. That's how, how it feels like. Because we both, like, I love Inglorious Bastards. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love Django Unchained. All of them are fantastic. We could talk for another 25 minutes about each one Can of them. Can we just mention alone. about the really funny scene? It's, it's very dark comedy, considering it's a KKK meeting. But that scene is still one of the funniest things you'll see in cinema. When he, Django? When they're talking about oh how the pillowcases don't have holes that you can see through. What about the murder of I find of that hysterically the funny. Tate. I, I don't, like... In, I, in... Like, that really happened. And and I, the KKK thing really happened. Like, these things are real. I know. Inglorious but Bastards. they make it so the funny. Nazi I don't thing. know how the Tarantino Holocaust does it, but it's so funny. doesn't happen because he... he kills all of the Nazis in a movie theater. Yeah, but including Hitler. I just I find it I, so funny because it seems like something that people would bitch about in real life when I they're like, I can't see through sh this, these two shitty holes in this pillowcase. And they're like, well, my wife has been working hard on this and all I'm here is criticize, criticize, criticize. I cry. I laugh I, so I hard. I have to tell you something hilarious. It's so hard for me to not laugh at it, even though I know it's terrible because it's it happened. I, I have such like an issue within myself, it's dark. but I, I can't. Uh, it's really hard because it's really dark comedy, like really, really dark. Can I tell you something true. funny that happened? Okay. I was at the movie theater watching *Inglorious Bastards*, and <laughs> and. These loud people beside us. I don't think they realized the vo their volume because this was their whispering capacity, and their whispering capacity was that everyone in the whole theater could hear. And right at the end of the movie, they're like, they, they kept well, not even at the end of the movie, they kept saying, "Oh, is this what really happened? Is this a true story? Is this is this fact?" And then, then Hitler is burning up in the theater, and I hear the other one lean over and go. I don't think this is really what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed so hard. And, and oh, You're trying great. not to Sometimes laugh. Sometimes it's great to watch movies in a theater with other people because you have experiences like that. Yeah. And it sticks with you because that's what I remember as one of my first thoughts about Inglourious Bastards. Other than that, it's a great was movie. Is this real? Yeah. I don't think this was real. I don't think this really happened. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get to oh mention my quick little gosh. thing about Kill Bill. Uh, a kid I went to school with claimed to be a Tarantino fan, but hadn't seen Kill Bill. And I said, you can't talk to me about being a Tarantino fan until you've seen Kill Bill. And Kill Bill? I think it was like the Pulp Fiction of my generation. Of your gen- I yeah. guess, yeah, your generation. Well, more my generation, but yeah, sure. But like, yours. so like, time went by, I didn't hear anything about it from this kid, and this kid came up to me one day, like, bent down and went, Daisy, wiggle your big toe, and I went, <gasps> You saw it! Like, like, my whole face just morphed into yeah. shock and happiness and joy and surprise all at once, and I was like, you've seen it? Yeah. And he, and he was just like, I watched part two as well, I was like, oh my god! I just, I lost it. I completely lost it in the school cafeteria. So, now that we've talked about how much we love Tarantino, it's time for me to be an absolute betrayer. 
of people. Despite yeah, all so, of the excitement. So much for him being your favorite director. Almost ex- that split. Despite all of his excitement that I could not, like, will, like hold in. Because I really do, like, he, he's, he wrote true romance. Or, 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 like, wrote the original, I don't know. Of true romance. I love that movie as well. Yeah. Like, everything that he touches I think is gold. Except for the hateful eight. How long you say you've been working for a minute? For a month. Hmm. See, if you'd have been here two and a half years ago, you'd know about that sign used to hang up over the bar. Many mentioned that to you? No. You want to know what that sign says in your bar? No dogs or Mexicans allowed. <laughs> the minute hung that sign up the day she opened this haberdashery. And it hung over that bar every day till she took it down a little over two years ago. You know why she took it down? She started letting in dogs. Do you want to tell me what you hate about The Hateful Eight so that I can figure out what I could pull you on? Because I need some notes. The only thing I think I liked about it was the shocking turn of events where I think Channing Tatum pops up like a gopher. I out of nowhere. Do you know how much I was waiting for him? Because I knew he was in it. Like, he was telling everybody. That that was a shocker for me. And I liked that part. And I... It, what, what's a shame is I like most of the actors in it. And I feel... I Like, I can't even understand what the hell... What's-her-face is saying from, from Fast Times Ridge. Oh, you haven't seen Fast Times Ridgemont High. There's something Are you talking about how they play Daisy in it? Ugh. Any Lee? Yes, Jennifer yeah. Jason Lee. The only woman in it, basically. Other than Zoe Bell. Also, while we're at it, how have you not seen Fast Times at Richmond High? Go you, on. Okay. So, I want to give you a bit of credit. When I watched Thank Hateful you. Eight, I went into it very excited because I was thinking it was going to be like another Django, Django! Except, except in the snow. That was what I was expecting. Django in the snow? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it had everything going for it. Samuel L. Jackson's supposed to be like a bounty but hunter. he never does the same theme twice. But I like, I thought it was leading into it, you know? Is. Like, I thought it was leading into it that way, so I was really excited for it to be, like, similar, or at least tonally similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I watched it, it is a much slower film. Like, it's all build-up to the end. Because a lot of stuff you have to figure out steadily. Like, it's very much like murder mystery energy, because you're trying to figure out who has good intentions, who has bad intentions, who's good, who's bad. Because, like... You've got a guy who's sitting in the lodge who's clearly a racist. Who's clearly a racist. Well, I'm just yawning thinking. But at the same time, are you? Is he going to be a decent person, just a racist, or like it's really hard to tell with Tarantino films? I like murder mysteries. Like yeah, but with it being slower, you probably didn't like it as much. The other thing was, um, there's a complete bloodbath at the curtain call for the movie. It should be right up your alley considering how much you love all of Tarantino's other work. He does this a similar thing in most of his films where by the end of the movie, blood is coming out of the yin-yang. There is not going to be a sequel. That's, that's how he likes to, yeah. to do his films. He's got nine no. films and none of them can have anything other than Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. No sequels. Um, but uh, I also think there is a bit of connection to truth. There is a bit of truth in this. Now, granted, a lot of this stuff's far-fetched. Like, heads exploding, stuff like that. Now, this is where the truth element comes into it. Think of the times they're in 
in the Hateful Eight. This is a time okay. when women con were considered very nurturing and docile and all of this. So what's changed? So when, hold on, so when uh, Kurt Russell comes in there with Daisy uh, Murtagu or whatever her friggin' name is, I didn't make a note of that, but Daisy is supposed to be like Fast crazy. Got it. She's supposed to be crazy, she's supposed to be mad, she's supposed to be a, a killer or a, a robber. She's he, just unhinged. She's supposed to be that, is the yeah. point. Yeah. And Kurt Russell's kind of, you know, handcuffed to her, making sure he can get her to where he's got to get her to. Yeah. So that she can be executed, he can make some money, you know, when bing ding ding, 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 um, ding, But at the same time, none of the men would do anything to hurt her. Like, when you watch the film, and, like, like they're all shooting at each other, they're attacking each other, none of them pay attention to her. Which is why it's interesting that you have the whole storyline, that the people who are actually there causing the problems are people that are connected to her. People who have come there specifically for her are the ones that are killing people. Like, Channing Tatum is supposed to be her brother or something? Or her boyfriend or whatever. And Brother, boyfriend, who cares? It's all, it's a little all over the place. I haven't seen Hate Flight in a while since it came out. Um, You're doing a great job saying it, by the way. <laughs> it's a bit all over the place. That's how the movie is. It's a bit chaotic. Yeah. That's the energy. Um, There's no delicateness but, to it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's raw. It's terrible. Um, and I think that that's really cool because there is an element of truth there because that is how men saw women. That's why people didn't think women could commit crimes and women were getting away with murder. Like, they have the whole, like, Black Widow thing from years ago, all this. Women murdering their husbands and, hey, she couldn't do it. She's just a little sweet little blonde girl. No, she hit him with the I frozen lamb. I forgot Sammy J was in this. You forgot that he's a bounty hunter? Yeah, I forgot Sammy He's Jay literally the cover, Chelsea. I forgot he was in it. <laughs> Um, but I think that's really important because so many men in it actually die for her character, which would make almost no sense considering, you know, the fact that they're all killing each other, but no one would kill her. They, no one would touch them. No one would like touch her, hurt her, anything. They're trying to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. Like they'd kill Kurt Russell and leave her attached to him and like, you know, let's not hurt the lady kind of thing. Which I think is important to being truthful to the time, but it also makes it integral to her being evil in the story. Because her connections cause the whole issue, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Are you even listening? I am. I'm just looking up information as you talk about um, it. And because of them thinking she's incapable of crime, that's why she can be as criminal as she is. Which I think is kind of cool, and I thought you'd think it was cool. Mm -hmm. um, also, the last little thing. Do you know Walton Goggins? Yes. Don't you love that he's always, like, the crazy guy? He's always the crazy villain or just the crazy person in general? Right? Have you seen what him? What else has he been in? Other than him being in The Unicorn, has he played anyone that's sane? The Unicorn? Yeah, his TV show. Isn't it called The Unicorn? Uh, oh. I haven't, I don't know about his TV show. He had it. He like, does a couple tend years to play ago. crazy people. He tends it's to he's play got wild eyes, though. Yeah, and a very wide forehead. That's what makes him look crazy—the wide forehead. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, um, I really liked him in this, and I thought that it was kind I like of him in everything. I thought it was kind of new because, like we said before, Tarantino always has the same people. So, to a certain extent, it's somewhat predictable that you can tell it's going to be someone that he really likes. It's going to be someone who's going to be really bad. The Righteous Gemstones. Invincible. I don't see anything about a unicorn. It's his TV show. I, I don't really care, Chelsea. Um, but, uh, 
I really liked that he had a whole element in it, and he, intru he introduced people like Channing Tatum, like you said before, people that are not, like, his bread and butter for casting. He brought them in and gave them, like, integral parts to the story. Mm -hmm. It's like a crazy mind map, was what yeah. the movie's like. So I thought you'd like it. No, you'd be wrong. Okay. I'd, uh, it, it's too much chaos and not enough. Like, you know sometimes when you see, when they're putting something together in like a mystery or like a cop thing, where they have like the string going across the board connecting everybody together, it's like, and this person and that person and that person, so who could it be, right? And you have that sort of delicateness of like, here's all the possibilities. This film is like they threw a fucking bowl of yarn at you and said, it's there, find it. Like, that's kind of what it was like. Yeah. And it's a mess. It's a mess. Like, it's not, it doesn't have any sort of style and nuance that is typical of his films. But it has that. But it has of boring, long-ass dialogue that because, goes nowhere. Because of the chaos in it, and as you said, the ball of yarn. It gives, there's so many possibilities of, that's what I mentioned, there's, you don't know who has good intentions, who has bad intentions, you don't know who's after who, because they're all kind of stuck in a cabin, and you don't know what's going to happen, which I think is kind of cool. I don't like it. Well, it's not my favorite either, but you don't I'm have to pull that face. this unicorn thing still. Oh my god, just type in his friggin', you know... The unicorn! You're right! I was right. He was in a show from 2019 to 2021 called The Unicorn. Yeah, what's did two seasons. American sitcom created by Bill Martin and Mike Schiff and Grady Cooper. What's it about, though? It stars Walter Walton Goggins. Oh, I, I know Walton Goggins. I know that. Huh? You're you're just confirming my knowledge. What's it about? Thank you. But what's it about? I think he's a single dad. I think he's lost his wife, and he's taking care of the kids, and he's surrounded by friends who are all married, and they're trying to get him through it so that he can go back into the dating pool. And he's a unicorn because. Like, uh, everyone else is all certain kinds of guys, but he's special, so they call him the unicorn. Yeah. He's an I've seen, like, two episodes. And also a devoted father. Yeah. Huh. So he's a unicorn. Okay, anyway, cool. you didn't get twisted on The Hateful Eight. I not feel lukewarm about it anyway. It's not my favorite one, so um, I'll take the L. the truth. I will take the L. All right. Uh, also, it honorable mention, we haven't good. mentioned her, but we've also got to mention Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah, Jackie Brown. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to go through the, the nine in my head. Jackie Brown's a great movie. Oh, see, Jackie... I'm so sorry. I can't believe I forgot Jackie Brown. Yeah, Jackie Brown is up there for me with... Oh, God. Like, it's hard to rank them. They're so distinct. AK-47. AK-47. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson is, is really, really good, I think, in Jackie Brown. I think he stands out as... I think Samuel L. Jackson's good in a lot of stuff. Particularly in this you one. You really like him in Jackie Brown. I think he's he's so evil in Django for me that, like, mm. he's worse than Leo because he knows what all of these other black people are going through. I don't and think he's selling them out he's, to this white rich prick. I don't think anyone's worse than Leo. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Like, he's bad. But he's, he's bad. giving him ideas. Like, he is like a friggin' mole. Like, yeah. he's such a snake. He's, they called that an Uncle Tom. You can call him Uncle Peter for all I care. He's still a dick. Yeah. I, oh, I can't. I can't even yeah, begin. Yeah. So you think he's really good in Jackie Brown? I like him in Jackie Brown. I think, I think it might be my favorite role for him, which is shocking because he's really good as well in Pulp Fiction, but I think it's overrated. 
when you look at what he's done in Jackie Brown. I think it's they have a really big shocker with the whole van thing in Jackie Brown. Yes. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't seen some of the like we're gonna call them the lesser knowns. I highly <laughs> recommend watching Jackie Brand and Reservoir Dogs and things like that. And Death Proof. And Definitely Death Proof. Death Proof, yeah. They're all really, really good. They're all very distinct, but somehow, that's the thing that surprised me. Usually when they're very, very distinct, the chances are more likely that you're going to go, I like that one, but I didn't like that one. I like that one, but I didn't like that one. Pretty consistently. Whereas I like all of them with one exception. And that exception is Hateful Eight. But, but like, it's... They're all so good. You know what I find uh, now I'm like quite enjoyable. You, it's interesting that you say that. That with them all being different, it's easier to find one you don't like. I have a, I have like the opposite. Like when you watch, um, can't remember the director's name. All of his films to me feel like the same thing. It's always a drama. It's always got some psychological element. Um, like when there's a certain thing that they do and they do it like it's a recurring theme. They have a clear motif in all of their stuff. I get bored so easily. Because I'm does like, Kill this Bill is just another version movie? of your other thing. Well, it's um, volume one and volume two. So does, hold, hold on. Pulp Fiction? Reservoir Dogs. That's one and two. Did you hear that uh, Uma Thurman was saying she'd love to do a, uh, a third one? Hold and on. And have on Maya Hawke be her daughter? Yeah, hold on a tick. I'd lose my That would mind. be awesome. Jackson Brown, number three. Okay. Okay, you do the count. I'm going to start saying number, goodbye to our lovely number listeners. Number four is Kill Bill 1 and 2 as one movie, right? Okay. Then we have Death Proof. Then Hang we have up the chick, Django. Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time. Ding, ding, oh, sorry. Ding. Okay, so no, we're right. So then that would be... Oh, no, Hateful Eight. Did I just skip Hateful Eight? One, two, three. And now I'm just counting the pictures on Google. One, okay. two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, nine, ten. So Kill Bill counts as one movie okay. in his repertoire. That's so fine. if he makes another Kill Bill Part Three, does that still count as one movie? I love it. Do we get to keep going if he only makes Kill Bill? Oh my movies? god! Just keep making sequels and just say they're volume whatever. <laughs> yeah, volume two of Jackie Brown. No, it, no, it's the same movie. You know what it's they'll do? Part three of Kill Bill. Part four of Kill Bill. Yeah, and that's just how <laughs> you're gonna keep five, it going. The Revenge. You can, part six. He can only continue making films if he makes sequels of yes, his, of his volumes, better films. Volumes. Oh goodness. You that, don't. It, we're not gonna call it a sequel. We're gonna terrible. call it a volume. That sounds like a a, a really bad. Oh my god, we could, we, could have, we could have a Mr. Pink movie. Because uh, he lived. Does that count as its own movie? Exactly, we don't know. Exactly, because they're following the same people. Oh, we gosh. we can all agree there's not going to be another Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Why? Because where do you go from there? You really... You really <laughs> exactly. It was specifically connected yeah. to Manson, so you're definitely not going any further. Yeah, it was great, though. And I love one of the things I love about Tarantino movies is you can go in and you can know the entire story... You can have, you can have and you're still going to be like, whoa. World War II history down pat. <laughs> and you can still go into Inglourious Bastions and go, oh, I don't think this is what happened. Like, that's, that's a possibility. You can't know what's going to happen. Because yeah. what happened to the Manson family did not happen in this movie. <laughs> so, yeah. So that ends this wonderful, wonderful Tarantino week. Yes. As we head firmly into spooky season. I, yes. I hope you... Uh, well, we're, we're approaching Halloween. 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 Halloween.